This is Live from the Table, the official podcast of New York's world-famous Comedy Cellar, coming at you on Sirius XM 99, Raw Dog. And on the Laugh Button Podcast Network, this is Dan Natterman here with Noam Dorman, the owner of the world-famous Comedy Cellar, Periel Ashenbrand, our producer. We also have two guests today with us, uh, John Fish, a regular here at the Comedy Cellar. He has a new album that he just recorded called... Hinged, as opposed to unhinged. He's hinged. Yeah. And he's got it all together. He's got his shit together. I wouldn't go that far. In any case, we also have with us, making her debut on the Comedy Cellar podcast, Lynette Palladino. She's a comic, but not only that, she is a major in the U.S. Army with three deployments to her credit in support of Operations Iraqi Freedom, Enduring Freedom, and Inherent Resolve. Which one was that one? The most recent fight against ISIS. Gotcha. Okay. And she recently competed as one of five nationwide finalists in HBO's Latino stand-up, which John Fish was rejected from, (laughs) not being a Latino. Hello, everybody. Thank you for coming. Uh, I guess we'll start off talking about Afghanistan. First of all, today is the day, our first day, I guess, that we're not there. No, we, yesterday was. Well, we pulled out yesterday, so today's our first... No, we pulled out August 30th. Be that as it may, we're no longer... <laughs> we pulled out August 30th, but, I, but maybe it was... Uh, uh, is Afghanistan uh, uh, ahead of us? Or, you know, like... Was it August 31st? I thought the deadline was... Uh, whatever it is... We pulled out, but there was still some residual. The times... That, no, maybe it's August 31st, Afghanistan time? Uh, so, the what was reported is that the risks far outweighed the pros of staying even one day longer. Mm. There were increasing reports of another attack. Um, they just, we had gotten as many people out as we were going to get out. Uh, and nobody who was inside uh, the airport was left behind. And so they, they took off. Lynette, what exactly did you do over there in Afghanistan? I went to Iraq twice in Kosovo. You just said twice. she was in Iraq. Oh, she wasn't in Afghanistan. I did three deployments, twice to Iraq, once oh, to Kosovo. Okay. Gotcha. And what did you do in Iraq? I... <laughs> she can't tell you that. No, of course I can tell <laughs> I have you. To kill you. It's on my LinkedIn. It's not a big deal. <laughs> uh, I was an intel officer the second time. Um, so I was an intel officer of a sustainment battalion. And then the first time, it was a, it was a very bizarre situation in that as a second lieutenant, I was deployed to force level. So... In, in the grand scheme of the military, you know, you start out in small platoons, companies, battalions, and then you work your way up from there. Force level is just a step underneath CENTCOM. Like, I was by far the youngest person or officer for miles. Like, like there were there were more colonels than there were uh, any other rank, to be honest with you. It was crazy. So during that deployment, I started out in the Strategic Ops Center, and then I eventually ended up as the aide-de-camp to... Then two-star general um, Stephen Hummer, he ultimately retired as a three-star general. Wow. But so he I, was the director of all operations in Iraq. But, but you study hand-to-hand combat in the military, right? We do. So you could you could take Dan and me at the same time, probably. You're like, you, could, you could totally kick the shit out of us. Oh, I... I, I you know, I've been working out. That <laughs> doesn't matter. She knows how to use it. She knows she's she's got... Although I skills. do have some shoulder issues, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing any upper body work. <laughs> Right now, what do you call it? tennis shoulder? No, it- I don't know. It's just, the shoulders are complex joints, so it's easy enough to injure. And and both of my shoulders are, they don't, they feel like hey. they're not good. Is that what it's called, tennis shoulder? No, no, it's tennis elbow. Fro- I, frozen shoulder. Frozen. I had frozen shoulder. Frozen. That's something else. This is just my shoulders. 
kind of sore. Right. And when I like soap up in the shower, it's it's hard for me to lift my arm to get my my the opposite uh, pectoral muscle. I in any case, you only said two people. I think she could take the whole room. <laughs> you were just like Dan. Uh, so how do you feel about uh, Charles Wojcik, who's a friend of uh, friend of the shows and a friend of mine, who was also who was in Afghanistan, is also a comic and a veteran. Posted something on Facebook where he said, "Any veterans need to talk? I'm here." This was after the announcement of the pullout. So apparently he, I mean, apparently I guess veterans are feeling like uh, they're hard hit by this. I guess they feel as though that they were sent there to do a job and they weren't allowed to do it. No, I don't yeah, know if you feel that way. That's been a really common refrain. And I don't think it's necessarily that we were sent there to do a job that we didn't get to do. I think the frustration is that, you know, we, we shed American blood. We, we wasted trillions of dollars, uh, countless hours uh, deployed to a country that fell so quickly and easily. And then you had all of these obstacles in place to return or to not only repatriate American civilians who may be dual citizens, Afghan and American, but also the people who helped us. Um, you know, there, there were countless roadblocks to getting them their special visas so we could get them out of Afghanistan. And that's not even necessarily to say to get them into the country. Like we had areas where we could have taken them. We could have sent them to, you know, Kyrgyzstan, we could have sent them to the UAE, to Doha, Qatar, any any number of military bases we had throughout the military east, uh, the Middle East, so that we could finish the vetting process, which was uh, a huge complaint that we couldn't just take all of these people and give them their special visas. We needed to vet them just in case. Do no? Do you think we accomplished anything over there after twenty years? I mean, for, I I mean, Biden had said that we were there to. Uh, keep Afghanistan from being used as a base for Al Qaeda. Did we do that? And and is that well, all? And yeah, I mean, I think that it's interesting. So when you read people, uh, the, the people who want to uh, justify pulling out, they focus correctly on all the things we absolutely failed at, all the things which were still as bad or as worse than when we got there, all the the fact that the uh, Taliban is resurgent, that. Um, People, many people hate America and all that stuff. But then the people who don't feel that way point also with a lot of <clears throat> truth on their side to the tremendous progress that was made in Kabul, which apparently was a total like agrarian like marketplace and now is a, a real metropolis with a population of 25 and under who has grown up, not an American uh, style freedom, but um, drastically different than than what they're facing now. And you see these videos have come up on YouTube already of these women risking their lives, saying, please, you don't know what you've done to us. My life is over. I, I, had, a, I had a life. I could go out. I could walk on the street. And now I'm afraid for my life, you know? Um, and you have to read something into someone who's desperate enough to throw their baby over a, 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 a razor blade fence to a stranger, a woman who's ready to risk her life and go on a YouTube video. These are all people who know that what they're doing, people hanging from heli uh, from airplanes. So, you know, that kind of desperation um, speaks loudly to me. I I'm kind of off the subject. So I think, yeah, I think we, uh, we accomplished a lot and there's some things we failed at, but I don't see... So I could go either way on pulling out, depending on... on today and if, if, if I had more information but what I can't go either way on is the moral failure of leaving thousands of people 
who really, for all intents and consequences, should be considered as American naturalized citizens. The technicality of the passport should not apply to someone who's risked their lives for years to help American soldiers. That's, that's just, I mean, we, were, we had people like Periel and, and, and me, but, you know, just like crying hysterical tears because some children were separated at the border, at the Mexican border from their parents, right? And here you have people just left to be slaughtered. Uh, how could we do that? With the, you know, with the United States of America, we couldn't bring in 10,000 more troops, get everybody out safely. Taliban wants us out. They go to hell. We're not leaving until we get everything out that we want to, including these people and this material, and, 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 and we're not giving up the air base, and we're going to extend the perimeter. And yes, when we're finished all this, we are going to leave, which is what they wanted. So you imagine they would huff and puff, but they would let it go if they knew that we were actually doing what we said we were doing, because they don't want to give us an excuse to stay. So if they started attacking us and start shedding American blood, you would think they would realize that would be counterproductive. You can never be sure. But I, I'm just, I'm kind of ashamed. You know, they do those polls, like, are you proud to be an American? This is the first time I think, I'm like, no, I'm not, like this week, I'm not proud to be an American. I don't, I don't understand why we did that. I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know that any administration has been left with a lot of choices uh, as it comes to Afghanistan. Afghanistan historically has never been ruled by a central government. I think the, the lifestyle that you alluded to in Kabul is only enjoyed in Kabul. The, it's, it's very much a nation of, uh, there's two countries, there's two Afghanistans. If you live in rural Afghanistan, what's happening in the capital doesn't affect you in the least. Um, I think that's where we failed outside of Kabul, and, and there's some other cities I think which have yeah, there's, similar there's huge cities. There's no, that have that have some similar freedoms to Kabul, but but yeah, in the countryside apparently, it's it's not like that. But I don't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, no, I you're you're, I think your frustration, um, and especially when we're witnessing the desperation of the civilians we left behind, be them American or Afghan, is that is that that's what Dan was referencing in Charles's post on Facebook. I think we all feel that frustration. I think I think it's a huge lesson for us to not get involved in other countries' affairs or nation building or things like that. But then then you have the opposite argument of, well, if we are the world police, then how do we stand by and watch atrocities happen like like in Syria? Well, there's there's a threshold question, and it's not sufficiently dealt with, which is that we promised people we wouldn't do this to them. That has to mean something. I, I used the analogy the other day that if I see you about to jump out of the window, I don't have to do anything. Like I can, I can just sit there and watch. It's not nice, but I can just sit you watch. But if I say to you, jump, I'll catch you, and then you jump, and then I then I leave. Well, that's that's quite different. I have if if you're relying on my word, and that's why you jumped then yeah i can't i can't try to catch you i don't disagree with you and but we I told would, these people to jump i would offer the argument would afghans be any better or worse off had the u.s not sustained a war there for 20 years that's another i don't, I don't know i don't know that that question matters so much though because we were there I it mean, does matter we were there for no 20 it years. matters because during the obama administration who became that war became known as the drone war all no, we did it, it doesn't matter in terms of the decision to cut and run without getting these people out 
whatever mistake, maybe we should have never made the promise, should have gone there. I, I could, we could debate all those things. But the fact is that we had a moral responsibility to these people. And, and, I, and I even understand that some things, sometimes you will just fail at a moral responsibility. If we started losing thousands and thousands of American troops, but the idea that we couldn't have done it, that we couldn't have just brought in whatever it took to do it and done it right, and held our head up high and let it go down in history as an example of America doing the right thing. Agreed. As opposed to, I mean, how are you going to, wait, wait till the news reports start coming in of, you know, mass executions in a, in a stadium. Oh, they're coming. I don't know about. How how can we live with ourselves? I have no doubts that that's eventually what, what will happen in Afghanistan for sure. There, there, there is. For all of their rhetoric today, the Taliban will 100% exact revenge on anybody who cooperated with coalition forces or Westerners or whatever the case may be. But I I still think uh, it's not entirely our fault. I think there, there were many countries with us. This was the first time that NATO responded universally to a situation, like as a group, as a collective. And it wasn't just NATO. We also had Australia in there. Australia is not a NATO member. I mean, there were so many Western countries involved in what's happening in Afghanistan that I don't, I don't think it's fair to entirely blame the U.S. I think what happened with leaving behind anybody who cooperated with us is a tragedy for sure. There's no doubt about that. But I think when you hear President Biden say things like, we gave them trillions of dollars of resources we trained and equipped them for decades billions of dollars yeah uh, we spent two trillion on no, the afghan get, war it wasn't it was a lot it, it, that was salaries and things and, and weapons that we would have bought right anyway. we paid we, we the afghans away salary like, didn't we also take away all of the things that they were trained with like yeah, we took all the, the all, all the logistical we took some support. Contractors yeah. away. We took um, logistical support in the form of contractors. But look. but I want wait. I want to make a point about the other countries. The other countries were there in support of America. This was our deal. We were attacked in nine eleven. Totally. And totally. we. Well, they're NATO members. And we, it they was, would expect it was, us to respond in the same way. It was the first time that NATO had ever been used. I think to to mm-hmm. and there was a a. a Maybe more than a token force, especially from England. But for the most part, this was um, the the rest of the world, you know, being being an ally. They they wouldn't have gone into Afghanistan if America hadn't wanted to go 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 into Afghanistan. And I don't think we have to really. I don't think it's fair to consider the other countries. We're so much more powerful than they are. Let alone how much more powerful we are than this ragtag bunch of Taliban. How can we get chased out in such a way? If I want to leave, I get it. I can say, okay, we should leave. How can we get chased out with our tail between our legs? This is crazy. And it sends a very dangerous message to the rest of the world, doesn't it? Uh, I don't disagree in that um, the message that's being sent right now to our other adversaries like Russia and China is one that we are not committed to a long protracted war and we won't get involved when Russia threatens friendlies. We won't get involved when China threatened friendlies. And you've seen that not just since what happened recently. I thought friendlies was out of business. <laughs> but you've seen that since in 2011 when we when we when we were fighting in uh, when everything was going down in Syria, 
you saw Obama draw all of these red lines in the sand, and then the line kept moving and moving and moving. So it's no coincidence that a few years later, Russia goes and invades the Crimea. I mean, we were spread so far throughout the world. What do, how are we going to defend the Ukraine and the Crimea? And we have been. No, we can't go We've to, been there. But we can't go to war with Russia. Oh, right. But, but we can go to war with the Taliban. But there's something else, too. They say there's this over-the-horizon terrorist capability, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But again, this is where people pick and choose. Because what... what... But that over-the-horizon terrorist capability, by the way, is more focused on fighting and making sure... Al-Qaeda and making right, sure right. they don't develop another... No, that's what I'm... That's safe haven in Afghanistan. So that's what I'm going to refer to. So um, one of the things that's come out from all this that people are rightly outraged about is just how bullshit the military uh, um, wisdom has been all these years, how we were always just about to succeed in hearts and minds, all this stuff, you know, these constant optimistic uh, rosy scenarios. So fine, the military really doesn't know and our intelligence really doesn't know. I take umbrage with that point because Wait, I think on, a lot make... of people are trying to draw comparisons to the Afghan papers like these are the same let, Vietnam let, papers. And let, let, me, let me make the point then you could. So um, and our, our intelligence capabilities told us that Kabul, Kabul would hold and the Afghan army would hold and of course it, it, I don't think any of them predicted it would go like this. But anyway, my point is this. After all that, we're still supposed to believe that they know what they're talking about when they tell us we can prevent it from becoming a safe haven with this over-the-horizon uh, capability to, to thwart terrorists, even though Qatar or whatever is a thousand miles away. I don't believe it at all. I think the world is ever more dangerous. The, 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 the dangerous technologies were mostly invented in the 20s and 30s and 40s, and we're coming up on 100 years. I don't know how much longer you can keep them out of the hands of peasants, and I think we need to be there in order to prevent something calamitous which is probably inevitable anyway but something calamitous happening in the world and the only country that can do that unfortunately is the United States of America we just cannot just turn and go home so go ahead but Noam who has the stomach for that I mean I've been making this point as an intel analyst for a decade The only way you are going to change Afghanistan is if you do a full and total occupation. The way we never left Germany, the way we still haven't left Korea, that is the only way you change Afghanistan. You need to go through a cycle of three generations. The first generation says, fuck you. The second generation's like, these guys aren't so bad. And the third generation's like, I don't know what you boomers are upset about, but I fucking love life now. I definitely don't want to go back to Taliban. It, It all depends. It's like global warming. It all depends on you how... You say why not, but I guarantee you the, the other three people in this room haven't thought about Afghanistan since the last but month. Nobody was clamoring. I don't even know if Afghanistan came up in the debate with Trump and Biden, but it, it just depends it on how... Did. It, it did, because it, it came up in the way that the Trump administration negotiated the the, the, the peace deal with the Taliban, right, which but, was horrific. But it didn't way. come up that Biden was like, we need to get everybody home. Anyway... Look, I think I, I, I always have to temper what I'm about to say because I am still currently serving and President Biden is my commander in chief. But I don't think it's a coincidence that we, we have pulled out now 
because the situation was never going to get better. The writing was on the wall. The, the, you know, Admiral Mike Mullen, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said that years ago it was always going to be like this. I don't think so anybody this is predicted. My point. It, de- it depends how good. No, my, to finish the point is I think Biden pulled out now because in 16 months we have midterm okay, elections. But give it another four weeks. Get everybody out. Uh, but anyway, it depends on how seriously you take the threat, like global warming. People who really believe that global warming is going to be the end of us are ready to spend trillions of dollars and get rid of air conditioning and put us through all kinds of inconvenience because the threat is so real to them. In the 60s, we were ready to go to war to prevent missiles in Cuba, which was probably less threatening than missiles, uh, nuclear weapons in Iran, yet we're already kind of going to acquiesce, it seems, to... We're not going to go to war to prevent uh, 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 nuclear weapons in Iran. So, question is, how serious is the threat of a terrorist safe haven in Afghanistan with nobody on the ground to see whether chemical weapons are there, uh, uh, radioactive materials, whatever it is. So, if you're like me, and you believe that this all is going to end in a in a calamity, number one. Number two, that this all makes it more likely for Iran to get at a bomb, that these vacuums will be filled by people who, who, who want to do horrible things. Then, if you believe that threat, and you say, yeah, well, it's worth it. We'll just, we're just going to, we'll spend the billions of dollars every year and we're going to stay there and wait this out. And maybe when the youngest person in Afghanistan that grew up in freedom is 60, Maybe the genie won't go back in the bottle so so easily. I love that. Yeah, I'm all what, for that. And an American I, president who could get on TV and explain it all of a sudden would move the polls because people don't have a firm idea about one. Afghanistan. I, I do well, not they, think they should the still do the right thing. I can't. I can't. Stomach for that. I mean, there, I there's so many things that a majority of the country believes in that I would stand against, and this would just be another one. What if, what if a majority of the country told Periel that they wanted to make abortion illegal? And I said, well, that's, hey, the country wants it. You say, no, I don't agree with it. I don't agree with it. I don't understand how what that means that nobody has the stomach for it. I mean, we've been there for 20 years, like, so suddenly it's just like, all right, we're going to bail now, and Because a total occupation isn't, isn't... We were in Afghanistan in the last year with 2,500 soldiers on the ground. Yeah. That's not what it takes to keep that country. You need hundreds of thousands of soldiers in there. Are you going to go? No. I'll send her. Are you going to send I was, I I was in Iraq. I don't, I don't, that. I don't not, think that's a reasonable question. I, no, I'm not going to go. Do you want your son to go? I don't know. I mean, but my, my, my husband served in the Army, so like, I don't know. In the I U.S. Army? No, in the Israeli Army. It, well, by choice? <laughs> I mean, to my knowledge, isn't service in the Israeli Army required? No, actually, you can get you can out get of it, it if yeah. you they want go, to. So, in yes, any case, by choice. Uh, and you know, I, I don't think that that's a fair question. Like, I don't. But think- can we can we move things on a little bit? Because like, we could we could theoretically be talking about this all evening, and I, we have to get to John's special I hinge. Will, she will, wants to answer. I do want to say that. Like, let's keep in mind that you know the current military, the 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 biggest statistic veterans like to throw around is that we are less than one percent of the population, right? So there's 330 million people in America, and you're telling me less than 3 million people since Korea have served. I mean, that's asking 
the people currently serving to go again and again and again like we so, have so, been. So this would be my answer to you. And I and I promise you, if there was forced conscription, if there was a draft, we would be out of Afghanistan f- so fast, and people wouldn't. People would be like, "Oh, that's that really sucks for them," but there's you're not going to have the hand wringing that you have now. Yeah, if there were a draft, it it would be different. Either we'd be out, or they'd have, to, or they would have to lower their ambition in terms of what they do there. That doesn't mean that we wouldn't rue the day we left when there's yes, another nine eleven. Yes, it's really easy to say let's stay there indefinitely and but, let's finish the deal when it's not you. But this is yeah, that's that's always the case. That's just always the case when you start getting to the question of you know what's worth dying for, and if you're a have a healthy dose of atheism like Dan and I do. Um, you say nothing's worth dying it's for. It's not worth dying for. It's it's but, even but, just so, my time. Right, but let me but let me say that people who volunteer for the military sign up to um, do what the commanders in good faith think is necessary for the security of the country. Of course. And if again, if you if you, if if preventing a calamity or if the odds are at least significant that a calamity might be prevented that is well within what people are signing up for when they join the military, and it's a tragedy if anybody dies. But and and let's 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 take that and, and put no, it, I, wait, wait, hold on. I, let's just take this thought and put it back in history. So you see this thriving democracy of South Korea now, right, mm-hmm. compared to the North. Now at the time in the fifties, you said, "Is you, you want your son to go die for these Koreans?" You'd be like, "No, of course not." But looking back on it now, do we think? it was a waste to lose any American lives. So when we see the result in the world, the tremendous good that we see in, in Korea and what that means for world security, it's not just Korea, I think you'd have to say, well, people died, but it, it was, they did something good. It was not, they didn't die in vain. They died, now people in Afghanistan now are pulling out. They may have really died in vain. I don't disagree with you there. I, okay. I actually think yeah. the aversion to loss of life in these wars is what has also contributed to our inability to really affect change. I mean, every time one soldier dies, especially in the in our NATO members, like in ally states, like you know, in in Italy, when they would lose one soldier, and I know because I worked with them, I worked at NATO headquarters, like. It was devastating to them. So I think... We are not going back in there. But here's the proof. Here's the proof. It seems to me, I could be wrong. Look, and that's not to minimize any loss of life. But it seems to me that if you poll military people, they're the ones saying, no, we should have stayed. We 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 shouldn't have pulled out like we did. I would just uh, get a word in here. I don't think... uh, I think it's immoral to have an all-volunteer army. I think that any... I just don't think it's right. First of all... You say these kids are signing on uh, to defend America or to defend our interests. When I was in Iraq doing shows for the troops, that was not what I was hearing. What I was hearing is I signed up. Well, one guy told me he wanted to be a police officer, but there were no openings. So he didn't have anything else to do. He signed up for the military. One person just said he was looking for adventure. Uh, One person said they gave him $60,000 signing bonus. These are kids. Yeah, Um, so true. And... But that's the job. I, any decent... I don't think a decent moral society sends kids... Well, maybe they send kids because they have to. I mean, but but I don't think a decent moral society makes it about the poorer kids wind up going. That That is true. And, um... 
I agree with you. I think everybody should go if there's a job to be done. I mean, I wouldn't want to go. I, and I might suddenly come down with a case of bone spurs, but don't go by me. I'm, I'm <laughs> saying if I would de- design a decent moral society... You've got a fucked up shoulder. At my shoulder. Well, there's two right. issues there, Dan. One is, one, uh, one is that you're on pretty strong ground, is that everybody should shoulder the burden equally, especially when it comes to uh, risking your life, and that privileged people shouldn't be able to avoid it while the, while the rubes, the, 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 the Trump voters that everybody looks down their nose at all send their kids to uh, fight in the army. But having said that, there's a practical question, which I'm less convinced of, which is would we make more or less correct decisions if we had the political consideration of the draft as an additional counterweight because just because a lot of privileged parents wouldn't tolerate their kids going off to the army doesn't mean that we might then end up not intervening someplace that was necessary to intervene and then really regret it someday so i don't it gives I mean, you understand what I'm saying. It gives. Yeah, well, there's two little, questions. I mean, one yeah. is, will we make better decisions with a with a conscription, and the other is, morally speaking, is it right to 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 not have everybody bring do the their world is it. fucking dangerous right now. Like it, like people. Okay, before World War Two, like that was the last big big war, right? There was no atom bomb. Like there were no drones or no atom bombs, chemical weapons, or you know. I mean, it was there was no. What could happen in the world, uh, uh, like like could happen now? It's so dangerous now. By the way, you're already seeing like truckloads of weapons being sent over to Iran. John Fish, what, what would it take? Do you ever do um, uh, the um, Af- the Afghanistan or Iraq? Uh, shows. No, He's a pussy. Are you crazy? <laughs> I wouldn't even do that. Well, I'm a pussy, but I did it in 2008, and I was this guy, um, Andrew. Not Andrew Kennedy. I forgot his first name. Do you remember that guy, Lynette? He was a guy. He used to go to Iraq literally every month with a new group of comedy. You probably weren't there in 2008. I was in Iraq in 2009. Okay. No, this guy forgot his first name. He was a comic. He Every month he would bring another group of comics to do shows in Iraq. So She's not old enough to remember that. She was in 2009. She I was in Iraq in 2009. But he asked me to do it. I didn't really want to do it at the same time. I, <laughs> at the same time, I felt, I mean, my God, it's such a minor thing. From it, I'm risking really nothing at all. Um, and do I have a, I mean, I, I, I had to say yes. That I, but also, I thought it would, might be interest, it was an interesting thing to talk about. But So I ended up going. And, um, I've never been asked. And, you know, maybe they... <laughs> <laughs> I've never been asked. And I'm not sure, by the way, that I did... Any good because I don't. The troops didn't necessarily love my act, <laughs> and the war didn't go well. <laughs> but but um, it's all your fault. Just man. to bring this full circle, we did participate at a transfer ceremony because I happened to be on a plane coming from Iraq back to Kuwait, where there was a deceased service member on board, and we did that ceremony, and we we put our hand, put my hand on my heart. You know that thing that we saw on the news with Biden. I didn't see it. Yeah. Yeah, well, where they transfer the the uh, the, I don't know what they call it. It's not a casket, but it's, it's a, a drape. It's an American flag covered casket. Yeah. It's a cat, but it's a special casket that they used to transport. Anyway, um, it was they called a dignified transfer. So I was at a dignified transfer in Kuwait when they because tra- at first I got to transfer it from uh, Kuwait to wherever the plane that it goes in, and then and, uh, anyway, so Biden was 
apparently looked at his watch or so it would see. Multiple see that? times I read. Did you see that, John? No. There was a video where it looked, I only saw once. It yeah. looked like me at the end of my set where I'm hoping I, because <laughs> sometimes you look at your watch to know if you've done 45 minutes. Yeah, maybe he just had an Apple watch and it was saying, like, time to stand up. <laughs> so it, it, it just, he suddenly look, I, 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 glanced at his watch whilst they were transferring the soldier from the plane into the vehicle. I'm um, going to give him a pass on that. I'm sure he didn't mean it. It's habit, awkwardness. I, I mean, I don't believe... He's under a lot of pressure. He really messed up, and is and the, the, the weight of all that, assuming he's a decent person, which I think he is, um, has got to be really, really heavy. I, I'm, I, I really, in a year, I would love to know how people will, will judge this moment. Uh, and I, I think everything up to this point has been calculated. I, when I, I was in Iraq when President Trump was elected, and his biggest campaign like constant was that we're going to bring all the troops back. It was America first. He did not start negotiations with the Taliban until the spring of 2020. He used that as like this huge diplomatic foreign policy achievement and also avoided what Biden is now having to go through by not doing it well, during his I, term. I, to, 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 to believe what you're saying, one would have to believe the following, that when Biden, if Biden had proposed pulling out of Iraq on, on August 31st, and everybody at the, at the round table to said... Be, that, to be clear, the, the deal that was negotiated with the Taliban without the Afghan government was to be out of Afghanistan by, by May. May 1st. Yes, they extended, but it's, it's at our option. So, so anyway, <clears throat> if, if Biden said, I want to be out by August 31st, and they said, Mr. President, this is what will happen if we pull out August 31st. Kabul will fall in days. We'll leave thousands of people behind. We won't even get all the Americans out. We're going to give, we'll leave $20 billion worth of military material, including helicopters, uh, uh, 100,000 rifles for the Taliban. We're going to, we'll leave all that. And we will um, uh, lose 11 Marines. And and let's, let's just list it all out what happened. There is no way he would say, yep, I want to do it anyway. It's no way. It's, just it, it's obviously a mistake. Now, doesn't to, to, to say that the American people will forget about it and, and be happy that we're out, you might be right. But, the, but if, if there's, like I said, if there's mass executions and all that stuff, everybody's going to say, I think fair-minded people will say, well, I'm happy we're out. Boy, did he fuck up the way he did it. We did not. That was it. It was not a binary choice between staying in forever and getting out with their tail between our legs. That was not the choice. A, a proper commander in chief would have had a show of strength. He would have gone in there. He would have beefed up whatever I said it before, beefed it up with whatever show of strength he needed to do. Escorted everybody out, told the Taliban, don't make a fucking move or we're not leaving at all. Take everything we need out, every civilian, everything, every last piece of, of armor or whatever it is, and you turn out the lights on the way out and you say goodbye to Afghanistan. That's the way, it, and it's common sense. It's common sense. And, and Biden Biden thought that's what he was doing because he said, we're sure that the, the Afghan army will hold. That's exactly what he thought he was doing. But they didn't hold. So he blew it. Now, he maybe it's not his fault. You know, uh, who knows what, 
how, what assurances he got. But in the end, it's got a way. I wasn't I wasn't criticizing him when this started. I was saying I, I you know I feel bad for him. People make mistakes. Lincoln had terrible setbacks in the Civil War. You know, I mean, people make Churchill made terrible mistakes, right? We had some some famous uh, shellacking that Churchill took. I think in the First World War or something. There's uh, the stories of great leaders making mistakes, but it's got to weigh him down big but, time. So uh, he looked at his watch. You know, I don't know. The humanitarian side, yes. The the equipment, I could give a shit about. It's already outdated. But they can use it's that been equipment outdated. for what? To do what? What are they going to do with it? To kill people. To, to kill whom? The people we've already abandoned? What? Yeah, to kill yeah, sure. That's for right. Starters, to kill people first of all, they need to know how to use yeah. it. A lot of it has already been disabled. But they could use the helicopters for tours. They cannot. Use the, the helicopters have been disabled. I mean, just to, for like sightseeing. <laughs> have they been disabled? Because I, yes. I, I heard some speculation. Yes. Well, in well, fact, the Taliban has been trying to get Afghan security forces, particularly pilots, to come back to work. Yeah, okay. But yes. What about what about uh, take, giving those uh, uh, to the Chinese or something to reverse engineer? That's not an issue. What are the Chinese going to do with it? Invade Taiwan? Probably. No, I mean to reverse engineer American technology of some sort. I'm asking. I don't. No, no. it's universal technology. We sell this stuff. We sell it to to okay. everybody. Okay, fair enough. Can I? Um, can we move quickly to uh, John's special? I know it's an abrupt change of gears. And since you bought this, this is like when we do you do a, a benefit show and they show like yes. a f- five minute video of the kid that's dying that you're doing the benefit <laughs> for, and, and then they're like, nah, and now here's Tom, and they often look a little bit like you. Yeah. <laughs> I've been dating divorced women lately, which happens in my age bracket. <laughs> and there's that saying, "All the good ones are taken." Good news, everybody. They'll be back. <laughs> Even my buddies are getting divorced now, which is weird. It's like we're living the same lives again, all of a sudden. But we got there so differently. It's like I've been on a direct flight. Sitting in first class. Meanwhile, they've been on a Greyhound bus for 12 years. Just stopping at every Cracker Barrel. I have learned a lot over the years. Uh, Here's something for you. From now on, when a girl tells me that she is a mess and an alcoholic, I'm gonna take her word for it. You guys cheered me up. Uh, I'm at a weird place in my life. I told you, no girlfriend, no wife. All my family lives in Massachusetts. I live here. I realized recently, like, just how alone I am. Because my emergency contact is going to be surprised. (laughs) Right? You get that call, you're like, wait, what? I'll be right there. My person's going to be like, Watoa Sushi, can I help you? Well, let's just back up and say, I think uh, of the two of us, I think I would be more apt to go to war than you. Oh, of course. Yeah. But John's in good... John <laughs> called me a pussy like 10 minutes. Well, jo- John, John's in good shape. He looks like he's in good shape I'm anyway. I'm not, but thank you. Still in Looks like you, you never no. considered a military career. How old are you, John? I'm 
40s. You're too old. <laughs> He's too old. But yeah. as a younger John, when 9-11, you were, you were a perfect age when, when 9-11 went down. Did you ever consider uh, putting on the uniform? I was very depressed in Brooklyn. Uh, no. Okay. No. And, and, you know, it, listen, the, uh, it is really just think about like what's worth dying for. How, how do you process this stuff? Because you take someone like John McCain, who was tortured in Vietnam, and he would tell you it's worth it to send kids off to, to, for this, to die for this sort of thing. And who can speak with more authority than he could, right? So it's not just like some privileged dude like me who doesn't really know how to process it. This is a guy who put his money where his mouth was. So, But it is true that we do recruit people who really don't have access to the kind of things that privileged people... I look, absolutely. Oh, that's rude. No, I disagree with that comment. I don't you know guys are making rude. It's no, actual... you guys are making assumptions that the military is this homogenous Trump supporting organization. She, I didn't say any of those things. <laughs> she did that. Or and I didn't that make... we lack resources. I didn't say any of those things. I mean, it's a material fact <sighs> that there is presence in multiple hundreds of high schools all over the country, and the demographic is not. Is, is the lower income places. I mean, I have friends in the military and- That is fundamentally not okay. true. Well, if you go to the Upper West Side of Manhattan, where my people come from, uh, you're, not gonna, you're not gonna find a single parent with a kid in the, in the military. Maybe that's exaggeration, but very, very, very few. If you go down to Alabama, it's quite common, right? So it, it's cultural. Uh, on the other hand, I know somebody in my family who was ready to join the military because you know, they had nothing going on. My you know? father was served in the U.S. military. But that's a different time. And, of course, there are, I mean, I mean, I'm not, I don't take it personally. It's not like everybody is desperate joins the military. There's people who. That is a, a stereotype that has persisted since, like, the 80s when judges were turning to people and going, you can go to jail or you can join right. the military. What do you want to do? And it's so offensive, I can't well, even what's offensive about it? Why because it offensive? it's making an assumption that we're all low income. Yeah. Low income I, comes I don't think with its own... Meant. That's not what I said, though. But you you just said it, it, I But I think it's fair to say that people with low incomes, sometimes that's the motivation for joining the military. It's, it's, it's the motivation for at least some of the military. I, I think there are two motivations that I think are, are three, but I think two. One is economic anxiety. That, that is clear. Or, or uh, the ability to get training, or get a career. Like a person I know wanted to get training at a career for something. So that's a legit reason. But a, a big factor is also cultural. There are certain parts of the country where joining a military is considered just a very ordinary thing to do. I don't disagree class. with you. Well, why don't we ask you, Lynette? You, you would disagree with that? No, I don't disagree yeah. with you that in certain parts of the country, particularly as it relates to enlisted ranks, you are more likely to find communities that are pro-military. Yeah. It's a problem outside of Colorado Springs and Fort Carson. It's like, it's it just becomes the self-licking ice cream cone where the closer you are in proximity to it, the more normalized it is to join the military. Now, of course, the farther away you move from bases, which there aren't a lot in the Northeast, there's Fort Drum, which is practically fucking Canada, and then there's Fort Dix in New Jersey, and then the rest are around Virginia, Maryland, but then you have the South, yeah. or you have the West, which is, that's a problem So why itself. did you join the military? Back up. 
that's a problem in itself. The other majority of people joining in the, mil- the military are people with a family legacy of it. You did it because your father did it, your brother that's did it, your mother too. did it. Right. But that's not to say that these that we're coming from low income no, backgrounds no. or that we're coming from a lack of options. I, she I, said that. I didn't say that. I bristle at <laughs> that because they're some of the smartest people I've ever met are, are the ones in the military. Like you like to operate a, a submarine, you have to be a nuclear engineer. It's not. Well, you first don't, of all, having having uh, not having money is not the same thing as not being smart. So well, no, I, I, I agree with you there. But the the equivalence is that if you are coming from a low income situation, you are also coming from a situation that lacks resources, and that means a quality education. Yeah. Well, I mean, so so the army will market itself as a way to get an education, a way to get a career, a way to learn a skill. So clearly, that is. And those are all true. Right, and and so so to the people who are moved by that. That, I mean, I, I don't I don't think it's any one thing. But then also, like, our friend Clint Watts went to West Point, And that's a whole other, like, more intellectual, I guess. And if, you, have to, you have to do very well in school to go to, go to West Point, it's right? It's a different breeding yeah, ground. When yeah, you're going to yeah. the academies, it's completely different. You need to have, like, a senator nominate you. It's not even necessarily yeah. that you were the best in your class. It's just that you had a commitment to wanting to yeah. go. Maybe you're an athlete. Maybe you're a good scholar. But ultimately, you still have to get that recommendation from a senator that says... Yes, I, I think that kid should go. And then that's how you get in. I, I personally have a problem with the academies. I think the attrition rate once you graduate from an academy is way too high. I'm not sure that their obligation is equal to the amount of resources that go into educating them. I mean, I went through ROTC. I had a one-year scholarship. And this is during the height of the Afghanistan-Iraq war. I mean, I was there, I was in college in 2004, 5, 6, 7. Like, I got a one-year scholarship because everybody wanted to serve, and it was that difficult to get a scholarship. I still had school loans. I think I think what Periel was saying, and I hate to defend her, No, ever, you don't have to defend her. I, I think what she's myself. saying, I think what she's saying is that there's a lot of people in the Army who, if their parents had money, might not have joined. Like, like, that's all. Like, and if, not, I mean, I just all looked them, but, this up to make sure that, like, I didn't just, like, pull this out oh, of the sky. I mean, no, I mean. You're not going to bring are, facts into this. I am going to. I mean, there are, like, just New York Times. Um, the military targets youth recruitment, especially at poor schools. The military views poor kids as fodder for its forever wars. I mean, I'm not making right, but, this but up. what percentage of the overall military is that? Well, I don't know, but yeah, I'll that's look what it up. Said. I mean, this well, is something that, like, I didn't just... I mean, I'm not, like, saying something, like, rude against the military. Okay, I mean, she's... Don't can, do can that. It's <laughs> easy. Hey, no, can we get to your question quickly yeah. and then get to John's, John's special? special. But firstly, what, so what was your uh, trajectory that led you to a career in the military? I was always going to join. I should have joined right out of high school. I should have joined at 16 when my parents could sign me away for basic training. Because? Just because something... I, was always, I was always something I was going to do. But unfortunately, I come from a community where it's uncommon. And so it wasn't until I got to college and I gained a little bit more independence that I, made, that I started that conversation. That community being... I cut. I grew up in Bergen County, New Jersey. Oh, okay. Did you ever feel in danger for your life while you're in the military? Of course, but who cares? We care. It's interesting. 
What 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 was what was the situation? Why are you rolling your eyes? This is interesting. Uh, because it's, they make whole movies about this yeah, kind of thing. I I don't I I think there are certain types of mentality that like if you're going to allow the constant threat of danger to cripple you, then you don't belong in the uniform because it is the fact of life. Also, you're you're gonna you're not gonna last. You're gonna wash out. I know, but tell us what was it like? Like what was the? Can you talk about it? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, you know, I was... So here's a perfect example. When I was in Iraq the first time in 2009, uh, there was a series of bombings. They were really high-profile bombings. Like, they had bombed the Ministry of Justice. Like, it it was completely obliterated. This was in August of 2009. Hundreds of people died. And then that kind of started off this wave of attacks on not only U.S. bases, but then Iraqi civilians... And then it really was at its zenith with the elections that year. So when they held elections in March 2010, it was constant mortar attacks. But it's like, okay, whatever. They're not accurate, you know? Like, I mean, this is a big base. You, you know, it's the equivalent of a dropping a bomb in, in Central Park. You know, if it hits you, it's bad luck. And yet you get stage fright. I don't get I'm stage kidding. fright. <laughs> I've had stage fright maybe twice. Yeah. Well, it's so, I mean, it's not obviously like comparable level wise, but it's like when people are like, what's your worst heckler story? You're like, I don't care. Like you get heckled. It's not a big deal to you after you've been on stage a thousand times. It's like the same kind of thing. Like it becomes the background of your life. No. Well, it, yeah, yeah, mortifiers, I, I, heckling, it's, it's all the same. I, no, I was saying it's not equivalent in that way, but it's... You have a job to do. I don't know. It's just, you just have to go do your job. I mean, it's the same thing for comedy. Like, we, our job is to entertain and to be funny. And if you're, if you're going to be morose and, I don't know, if you're going to cripple under the pressure, then don't do comedy. Like, if, if you don't... Well, now you tell me. If you, <laughs> if you don't take your obligation to be an entertainer seriously, then you shouldn't be on stage. Here, here, she's right. You know, I mean, I mean, it sounds like what she's saying is obvious, but it's not obvious to a lot of comedians. You take an oath. Yeah, but uh, some comedians don't look at it that way. Yeah, yeah, they're they, an entertainer first. You know. Yeah. Well, you're saying known that some comedians feel that what's more important is for them to tell their truth. And the audience be damned? Yeah, or they don't give a shit whether they, you know, they, they they'll tank the room or they'll, um, they just they don't feel an obligation to do their best. I think you you can do that when it's your name drawing the crowd. But if you are in a lineup with a bunch of other people, and and I mean it's it's not a cheap night to come here. No, you know, so you have an obligation to to entertain. Absolutely, it's not just comedians. Every I mean I go through the musicians as well. It's like. People got dressed, they put on makeup, they got a babysitter, they came out, they're spending money. You know, do the right thing. Don't leave them in Afghanistan. (laughs) (laughs) They relied on you. (laughs) Hinged is the name of John's new... (laughs) I'm sponsoring the next war in Afghanistan. That's a a DVD, a CD? It's going to be an album, and then we'll put the the video and special up on YouTube. Yeah. Now the goal of an album these days. These days, I mean, are people buying albums? I think you probably get some purchases. I still get stuff from my other albums every once in a while, but mostly it's to be played on Sirius and Spotify. But you get money when they pay it on Sirius. Yeah, and and I I would like to do not even an album. I just want to record myself doing forty five minutes, um, and I guess I I no I might contact Liz about that as well. Yeah. 
uh, just to get like 45 minutes of the <laughs> Bat Black Pussycat. Yeah. And I'll, br- and I'll right call, in. what's his name, to record. What's that guy's name again? T-Dizzle Tony Deo. Tony Deo. The guy who brought you the little... Uh, uh, figurine. Oh, that guy's a good guy. Yeah. He's a real nice guy. Why would you choose Fat Black? Can I ask? Well, I, I need to. I need a room, and that's the one that Gnome it gives comics that. But John to, recorded his at Gotham. Yeah, but then I don't really. I'm not really plugged in at Gotham. I don't. I mean, it's easier for me. Just maker. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I asked Liz. Gotham. You, you, we weren't doing them yet here. I would have done it at the Underground because the, built an audience. I, I agree with you at the Underground. Um, built an audience. I w- I had to fill Gotham. Pretty much by myself. What we, this is during the pandemic? You did it, it was at the tail. It was in July. Oh yeah, we were. But you also were working with a producer that could help you out. Working with the great laugh button. The laugh button. Yeah. Okay, so I would just be doing it on my own, and um, it's just easier for me to use one of the rooms here because I have a relationship. And there's a built-in audience at the Comedy Cellar. Right, but I'm I I would still question why you would choose Fat Black over the Village Underground. Because the Village Underground. Is is a premier room here that's not easy to get. No, you could you could do the, the the underground at a certain times, six o'clock show or whatever it is. Well, yeah, I would get the six p.m. show. Give them six thirty. Come on. Which which <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know, you you wouldn't fill it. I mean, you might half fill it and then you draw the curtain. But but the rooms in the in the fat black now have improved a lot. Yeah. What was the last time you were there? Uh, pre pandemic. Yeah, you you have to come come well, after the show. Walk over there. Go see. It's 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 a big change. But Dan, do you want to record a special or an hour? No, no, I just want to record 45 minutes, 30 minutes, 45, whatever it would be, an hour of my comedy to play on Sirius. I'm not, I'm not interested in an album because I think I made 20 bucks last year off Well, Dan, if you want to do that, another way to do it would be just to do um, three or four 20-minute sets or 15-minute yeah, sets. You can do that too. And, and I paid but, $25. But you don't need video, right? You just need the audio. Just the audio. Yeah, so you can just... You could just edit them all together from oh, from individual sets to make one album. Nobody would know it's not a continuous show. Right, then, and you could use the built-in audio, I guess, at the... Oh, we have... Our audio is is, is uh, studio quality. Yeah, studio quality, okay. Yeah. So maybe there that's something to consider. I feel like we just had a production meeting. Yeah. Yes, I think. We... If it's video, it would be more difficult. But even then, you could just wear the same outfit every night. No one would know the difference. But audio is really a no-brainer. I mean, a lot of live albums... Are made from takes from yeah. There's numerous like, shows. I did two shows and like, for instance, the first one I do a joke about being bald and I and I say I, I balded from here, not here, and in between the breaks they're like you have to say Although the there top is some... and the front, so they have to take those words and put it. Mm-hmm. So they chop stuff up. Any good engineer can do that for you. Choppy 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 baby. Choppy, you can edit yourself choppy. actually. It's pretty easy. Okay, well, that's something to consider. Out. So, I mean, you whoa, did a whoa. set in French, and you just wrote a novel. I think you can handle some editing, some light editing. I think he needs to do an audio book. That's what I really think he needs. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. Well, those are all, these are all, all, um, all that's uh, a really things good idea. That, that I will be pursuing. I see. Yeah. Would when you that, want Dan to narrate that book? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I want I want no, he, he wrote a novel, you know? I do, yeah. He, he should I read know. his own you, book. I, yeah. I, I'm well aware. Tracy Morgan wrote, read his book. To his yeah. Maybe Tracy Morgan can read my book. <laughs> <laughs> that I, I'm a Tiffany Haddish also narrated. That's her pretty memoir. easy to do. You just call up Dean Edwards. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, amazing. Him. That's amazing. Wait, can that's you, funny. John, tell me what you started to tell me about Seinfeld and your? Album? Oh, that's I think is interesting because that's uh, so this the my album recording was on a Wednesday and on Monday morning, Mazzilli, Chris Mazzilli, the owner of Gotham, called to ask me if. Seinfeld could do a set before the album taping. Oh my God. And uh, and you were like, no. no. 
Well, here's the thing. Because I had comics call me when they found out angry about that. Um, Why? Because it's kind of like, that's your night. It is your night. You know, that's like... But I had just followed him at Gotham the previous Friday. And the audience couldn't have been in a better mood. Yeah, what kind of a crazy idea would that be? I mean, if he's only doing 20... How much time did you say he did? Well, here's the thing. He did about 20... 25 minutes mm-hmm. but nobody says do 20 like he could have done 40 he could have done yeah. you know so you I mean? took a chance but, yes but was there a part that. of you that's like well you better be taking me on the road with you now well that's the thing i had opened for him years ago at gotham mazilli got me to open for him and i brought that like he and i've introduced him a dozen times between here and gotham over the years maybe two dozen Still has no idea who I am. I've had conversations with him <laughs> so up no, in the comic strip and stuff. So yeah, I, he he comes in and he's like, "Who's the young man that's recording an album?" To, I'm like, "Right here, I'm almost your age." Right <laughs> you know? Well, he's got about 15 years. Yeah, no, at least. He is, yeah, but you know, he actually gave me as much eye contact as he ever has. He laughed at a couple of my jokes. We talked for a little bit, and he had George Wallace with him. Oh yeah, they're they're and pals. Wallace. Out of respect, I was like, "Do you want to do a set?" And he was like, "No, I just just here to watch Jerry." George Wallace, the comedian, not the governor of right. Alabama. <laughs> yes, but and I, and I had a joke in my act years ago about George Wash, the George Wallace, the governor of Alabama, doing the weather. Yeah. Precipitation now, precipitation tomorrow, <laughs> precipitation forever. <laughs> but nobody got it, so I. But in any case, uh, you, you get it, Pearl. He's killed here. I think so. she doesn't get it. Does anybody, does anybody get it? No, but I like what he does. Because <laughs> George Wallace, he said segregation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, a yeah, it was a famous George, speech. Yeah, where he said yeah. segregation now, segregation tomorrow. That, yeah. So. Oh, so, that's yeah. brilliant. But George Wallace, I I remember meeting him years ago back when the weekend pay was $50 still the governor of Alabama yes <laughs> and we were up at the comic strip and this is such a classy move I've, ne- I've always watched other famous comedians and he's not even like famous famous he's pretty famous yeah yeah I guess Vegas huge everyone knows him because he has billboards over there but um, he they kept trying to give him the spot pay and he's like no that's okay and they kept insisting and he just handed it to the servers mm-hmm. like right there and i just thought that was a class move so anyways i told that story jerry jerry liked that story then jerry gets up does his thing he only does like 20 25 crowds in a good mood i'm getting amped up and uh he introduces george wallace <laughs> oh, no. yeah and me and the laugh button guy you know we were just like what the fuck what the fuck what the fuck but i choose to believe that that classy man realized the moment and he literally did two minutes. He mm-hmm. said hello to the audience because he hadn't been on stage in 18 months. Oh, wow. And he got off after just saying hello, told a joke about someone that Jerry had been talking to in the audience, told a joke about Jerry, I think, and said goodnight. Now, did Jerry mention why he doesn't like the com- comedy star so much anymore? No, but... Could you ask him? I <laughs> heard the rumor... That he got, he thought he got the light, he right? He got yeah, that, but I thought he got... Oh, he's been here since then. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, so there was this. There was this. He thought that Artie Fuqua had given him the light, but he was but of course picture. he never did. Was that Artie doesn't know what a light is? No, no. Artie's I'm seeing. Someone was taking a picture, right? No. So well, we don't know what it okay. was, but but so Tom Papa called him the next day. Said, okay, well we can, we can, um, we can settle this. Where did you see the light come from? He said, straight. Across from the stage, in the underground or in the, in, in the main room, in the main regular comedy cells before the underground, 
straight across from the stage. And Thomas, well, no, no, the lights would is in the hall. Yeah, yeah. You know that. So you would think that would have settled the matter. Yeah. Never mind that we would never give him the light anyway. Yeah. But you're right. It seems like he never was the same after that. Yeah. He, I mean, he. And that is he, human nature in a way, right? I don't, I don't like know. even like when my my wife gets furious with me, even if she finds out she was wrong about it, she'll still carry it around with her like she was right. She's rarely yeah, but wrong. Doesn't he want to not well, they, believe they, that happened? I don't know, but he, but he, like he had a bad experience. Okay. It's visceral. So it just becomes associated with the seller. I yeah. had a bad time there. Doesn't matter that it was all in my head. It, it was all misunderstanding. But had, I had a bad time there. But he had 20 years Good times, and also... Uh, like He was never here that often. Well, he was what? here a lot when he did his documentary. Oh, okay. when, when he needed us. No, no, when he, when, he, when he was doing his documentary, we were the predominant... Okay, yeah, 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 that's right. Now, also, but there's other things. So he and he and Mazzilli are friends. Yeah. yeah. They're actually friends, okay. and he didn't even like me. So, so um... Nobody likes you. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, no, he doesn't know me from home. Okay. So... But that's part of your strategy, is not bothering celebrities. You try to be... Yeah, but I know most of the celebrities. I just don't bother them. But he actually doesn't know me. He looked right at me one time. I had no idea who I was. And then came back actually and apologized. He says, wait, you're Noam. I'm sorry. I should have realized who you were because I, I was trying to help him or something. But anyway, um, so it could just be because they're, they're sure. friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. And it's, you know, it's very, it's very Jerry. The room. People say that the room is very Jerry. But I don't... Yeah. That's, that's like a little backhanded thing against Jerry, but I, I don't think that's the case. It's a backhanded thing against Jerry? Well, they say because Gotham is like very sterile and and very like. Uh, say, I just thought my classy suits, you know, I think cosmopolitans, you know. Gotham is it, not cosmopolitan. It, it's a little bit more. Um, it's Art Deco. Formal, right? I mean, the sellers are more laid back. I didn't mean cosmopolitan. Yeah, but, but, I meant cosmopolitan. Oh, cosmopolitan drinks. Yeah. Drinks, like. Gotham is nice, but it's but Jerry came up in in the sure. comic strip and the improv. So sure. why? So it's not which is much more. No, more I agree seller. that I would think that right? yeah. like yeah. there's this scene well. in comedian where he says, and he's in the cellar. I think he's in the stairwell, and he's like, "This is what I remember. Like this is the, yeah, the yeah. smell of the comedy club." You know, yeah. of course, I would think that. Yeah, that's he's exactly also, it. He's also Jerry now. Yeah, he wants to drive his Porsche. One of his Porsches right up well, front. And there, go. there is the famous story. This is another story that could be where Melissa, who um, used to park his car for him when he came here, oh, yeah. dropped a bag of weed in the car oh, by accident, and we had to call him up and tell him. Yeah. <laughs> so he might have been pissed about that. <laughs> like they don't do that, that at sounds, Gotham. That sounds more. <laughs> no, there it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious. But it, it it bothers me. I mean, I. It, it just bothers me. Sure, I mean, but I, you know, well, all the we other, have Aziz and all the other big and, and, and all his pals and work Dave here. Chappelle and Chris Rock. Well, but else, an, yeah. another reason, like I said, why is it not good? Chris Rock, yeah. uh, uh, Colin Quinn, the people, Tom Powell, the people he socializes with, the people who are his yeah. friends hang out down here, and still he'll go to Gotham, be by himself. Yeah, he's got to have a grudge against us. That's a good Let's chance. get him on the podcast. A good chance. Well, that's not likely to happen anytime soon. <laughs> no. Well, if we do, well, maybe you could. Maybe we you could do it in a car. Um, Lynette, where where do you perform? I I perform with you. Matter of fact, down you, the street. You booked <laughs> like, Lynette. Lynette booked me. She did a show at uh, the at West, West Side Comedy Club. Yeah. So I know you work there. You say you work at Greenwich Village Comedy Club. No, with the Grizzly Pair. Oh, the Grizzly Pair. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, now, how is West Side Comedy Club? 
What do you mean? In what way? Is that a, is that a, is that a good room? I've never been there. I've had good experiences yeah, there. I mean, they, they don't. They're trying. I, I was there one time when it was closed. They they don't. Um, they don't do the kind of business you do, but nobody does. It but, can be a nice room. Yeah. But but you know it's decent, and I'll be there tomorrow night actually with Dave Juskow. If it's crowded, it's great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I like it. Do you think that um, a comedy cellar would work up there? Yeah, comedy cellar I, north. I fail to believe the hoopla that this is all based on, or no one thinks it's all based on, but it's, there's a huge chunk of the uh, walk-in traffic that is You're saying the location. Responsibility, responsible for the success of the comedy. No, but it's no, not... We, we have zero walk-in traffic. No, but it's not that it, it's, it's just a cool by, neighborhood, yeah. so when you're deciding where to go but, for your night out and you see Greenwich Village versus the Upper sure, West Side, you might sure. say to yourself, oh, Greenwich Village seems like a cooler place to that's, go. That's true. But I, I think a good show anywhere in the city people will go to. Yes, I think yeah. it's one hundred percent lineup dependent. If you have a great lineup, people are going to go. I mean, look at the stand. The stand's not in a in a heavily in no man's like, land. Yeah, yeah still traffic downtown. area. Still, still downtown. <laughs> I apologize. Is that a sore <laughs> subject? Well, the thing is, the re- the reason I never thought about opening a club, I I think every club should be within like two square blocks of here because the comedians then could hop around from club to club, having sending people uptown. No one yeah. would drop in. It, it, so I, I do think it's harder to fill a room uptown than it is to fill a room downtown i mean when i moved to new york city that i mean we're talking like right before 9-11 so like just over where'd you move years. here from boston Bean. Oh, right. um the, the weekends here were no less uh no more crowded the, the gotham was in its old location stand Forget up new the york weekends though what about during the week the whole thing the whole thing like we had shows um on nine, 9 and 11 uh, <laughs> Sunday through Thursday where the midweek winter shows would be one long show like I, oh, I, I would we, it was slow for years yeah it's so yeah, when, when I were just as crowded at, at the Upper West Side the comic strip Stand Up New York on the Upper West Side comic strip Gotham in in its old location on 22nd Dangerfields for whatever reason was always still packed so this place was prestigious but not any more crowded than any of those places it's um things that have happened since then yeah but that's yeah that's definitely changed i think there's a lot of brand recognition that comes with being the seller and if you if you partnered with playa betty's or west side or whatever and you started a comedy seller north i don't think you'd have a problem filling your room you may not be able to do three shows a night but for one one show a night for sure I also, by the way, comics uh, um, opened in uh, the meatpacking district sure. was 10, 15 years ago, and it was dead. And that, that was a hot nightlife neighborhood. And they, they, could, they couldn't have, give seats away. Yeah, that, they were trying to do a um, kind of Lower East Side show in a cosmopolitan Yeah, it's like area. trying to do comedy in Miami. Cosmopolitan drink area. You're yeah. too young probably to remember comics. but I am. But I, they were a great club. But it was a nice club. Yeah, it was a really it was a nice club. place. Where I was a crappy club. Come on now. No, no it was they, physically they, very, very nice. They really did it. They, I mean, they lucked out. I don't think they had anything. Because do you remember that they had um, potential for a band? You know, so they would have an extension to the stage. Oh, okay. And sometimes the first show would be that, and the second show would be comedy. And, they <laughs> and it had risers like a low wall. Yeah, it was a pretty. Room, it was a would pretty room. It that way. Yeah, but I, th- I think you're. For I us, think you're. Um, this. Um, not this. I, I don't think we have the same. Uh, I idea of what a good comedy room looks like okay it was a nice 
clean, modern-looking room. Yes. Which is not a good... It's not warm. It's not fun. It's it's not a good environment for but comedy. But they somehow were able to make it intimate, even though it was a larger room. Uh, but they, they, they lost it. millions. Oh, yeah. Well, they also had huge overhead. The yeah. Stan's main room isn't warm. Yeah, I don't... I don't I'm not a fan of them. <laughs> but I, I only say that to say that they're doing comedy well there, and it's not like... it's. I would describe that as a little sterile. I'm not like super in the mood to give you compliments right now. <laughs> um, but I do think that the way that you do things is exceptional. Well, I didn't. I mean, I, I built those other rooms. I didn't build the original cellar. But, but your I'm... attention to detail and the things that you care about and the things that you pay attention to are. Sure. I'm really... never in the mood to give no compliments. But I mean, when a room no, is I'm not like right, super not in the he mood. He fixes it. Yeah, and <laughs> he know? cares, and yeah. he really, and he cares about the comedians in a way. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I think that's also true of like uh, Gotham, like. Uh, you know, Chris Bazzilli, when he's in the room and somebody's chatting, he'll, he doesn't hesitate to send security over to shut that shit down. Yes, I think that's a key word. Security. Not a lot of clubs <laughs> a in lot the of city clubs yeah. even have Caroline's security. doesn't even have yeah. security. It's wild to me. I remember back in the day there was a huge brawl at a club. Huge. Like, show-ending brawl that I believe began with Todd Lynn. Oh, oh I, I, I believe that. Do you remember that? I remember that. And <laughs> the next week there still wasn't security at the club. But there was a tarot card reader. That was the solution. <laughs> oh, my God. That's crazy. But why do you think, like, having uh, just for the, the accommodation of comics, being able to run around and do spots, that having a single club on the Upper West Side would be a, uh, a problem? Like, what, what would be the impediment? Because I don't want one room to be uh, a stepchild. And I think that par part of the reason that all the rooms here do well is because all the... A list and B plus list and top, they yeah. play all the rooms. That's not true. Michael Che, what? That's not necessarily true. There are comics that don't that do not want to play the fat black locations. Well, okay, but Chappelle's done the fat black. Michael Che does the fat black. Chris Rock is. I mean, I don't know if Chris has Chris done it, but almost Ray Romano did. Almost everybody's done it. If it's not a hundred percent the same frequency, it's not as if like Che's been doing it in a bunch, you know. So. Amy Schumer has done the fat black a lot. It's like it's not it's not a stepchild, but if I had a room uptown, they would never go in there. I don't. Think you would never see. Well, it's, the analogy is Vegas. You have another room in Vegas, and it doesn't have the kind of star power that yeah. we're talking yeah. about. And we get some drop-ins even in Vegas because at least they're in town. I think I think Vegas is more likely to get drop-ins than the Upper West Side. Why? And also, a the, lot of people who live. Sorry, there are a lot of people who live up there. That, that's what I was going to say. Was gonna... But there is also the. At this point in time, the advantage of taking one subway ride here and being able to do yeah. as many sets as you want if you are... But West Side stature. in particular is literally three blocks from the one, two, three. I mean, you can get back and forth in 15 minutes. Yeah. I think he's talking about like the people like... Um, I could be wrong, but like Ray Romano or something coming into town, wanting to reminisce, eat the wings have his yeah you're not gonna have the atmosphere yeah. right there's no table there or just that, and then he can go and, and then once he's he here four shows he, he can do he can do two them at all the here. underground yeah. two at the cellar and not leave a block that, yeah no. that's also the, i i would never go there and that that scares me too well that would be great yeah <laughs> but i mean like <laughs> I, I just know like I, I would never trek up there i i would I, and i and i wouldn't 
have any way of knowing what's going on there. Why would you never go there just because you'd be here? Don't you have any deputies? It's so close to... I mean, it's so much easier to get there, isn't it? Easier to get where? I mean, it's so much shorter of a distance for you to drive to the Upper West Side. I guess you don't That's really... That's true, yeah. That. Well, I, I, What's but your I, address? I, I have to Google come here to work. Right, now. right, yeah, right. No, I get it. <laughs> I, I don't get... know. I, I, I don't know. Like I, My show on the Upper West Side, I mean, Judy Gold does it every time she's in town because it's so close to her house. She just rolls out of bed. She comes. She does 20, 30 minutes, whatever she wants. And her son helps book it. Well, he's my partner. <laughs> yeah, a little technicality. And, and by the way, her son is the booker. Well, I mean, that, <laughs> so he might, she might come even if it wasn't closer. No, I mean, no, I'm, I, no, I don't think she would. I mean, that Henry's my partner for yeah. it is sure, like whatever. But she, it's easy for yeah. her. No, I would great. like to open another room right across the street. Like at that store right before Chloe that's closed. There's like okay. a, used to be like a shawarma place, but it could hold like 100 people. What about the Mickey D's right near the? I mean, is, is that it's not it? available? I, I tried to I tried to get it. it was already sold. Or maybe even uh, uh, maybe someday Al Martin will sell me his New York Comedy Club. Or maybe the Grizzly Pear wants to sell. Do you know the owner there? Who's of course, I know the owners. There's uh, two. Ask them if they want to sell. Well, what about the place that you were going to go or you were talking with down the street? I can't process this. You would want to have four rooms within a a one and a half block radius. Yeah. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Well, you could still let's back up to the two flat fat black rooms you could still kind of hear the rooms no but we're putting doors now you've seen i have it definitely helped and, and we put and, and today we put in uh uh more plastic between the pass through oh, okay. you can barely if you can hear anything you can barely hear anything now right. yeah it's much better yeah it's much better cool but there's no concern for you that you might be watering down your brand or the quality of the shows or yeah i am concerned about that that's why well we haven't watered down the shows that's what i'm worried about opening up uh, uptown no, as, as a matter of fact, the shows have only gotten stronger. The, the more spots we can give out in a night, the stronger our shows become and the less anybody wants to work anywhere else. Correct? Um, it makes, uh, there's definitely that some makes merit logical to that. sense. Yeah, if they can come like, down here and stay down here, yeah. then you're like, yeah. they're out here to three, four spots. Like, well, why they're, they're not going to put in up at the other clubs. Right. And like by the way, the we always have an audience. There's an audience. The thing that is right. good about that is whereas in back in the day, you would uh, try to, you know, have your spots throughout the city and have to take cabs and stuff like that. If you're late for a show and you have four shows in the Comedy Cellar block, it's in-house, so it's like it's taken care of. So, like, the next person goes on instead of you, and you go after that person. So, as opposed to, like, pissing off an entire other club by being late. So, in that respect, it's a lot easier. Well, if the, if the Comedy Cellar show runs late, yeah, you don't have to then explain to the comic strip why you're not going to be there on exactly. time. You just say... You guys ran late. It's yes. your fault, and they'll and so they, yes. you know, they'll arrange yes. it for the next show. Yes. As a host, that's a little harder because I primarily host here. So if shit gets late here, I still have to go elsewhere to do a set. I don't have that liberty to be like, sorry, liberty, liberty. He's liberty. always complaining. He's always complaining. Well, he's <laughs> always <there>. fetching. Um, <laughs> I think that was my first fetch. That was very positive. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, any anything else, uh, or should we uh, no, put, I, put I, a bow on let's it? Call Seinfeld. <laughs> we should call him. Yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta figure out what's up with that guy. I'll talk to him. Yeah, I mean, he. I know he won't go to stand to uh, 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 stand up New York anymore. I think they made up. 
couldn't possibly. I'm telling I you. I don't think I so. think they made up because I think George um, smoothed it over. George who? I mean, the same George you guys have been talking George about Wallace. for the past Wallace? 45 oh, Wallace. minutes. Okay. George uh, Washington. Well, why would we think George <laughs> Wallace would be talking to West to stand up New York? I'm just relaying information. I know, but you said like the same George you've been talking like we're supposed well, to know who, the same I George. Mean, we're talking about Jerry Seinfeld. We're talking about Stand Up New York. I said I think George smoothed it over. What other George would I be talking about? But it seems here. to me that Seinfeld, is a saint. if but. Seinfeld holds a grudge against the comedy seller for something, I was that, just about to say the same thing. If he won't come down here, if he won't come down here, lit, and then he skewers them in the New York Times. I don't see how he would show his face at Stand Up New York. Oh, and the, and the audience has been this dogging Seinfeld. Talking about what a, what a dick he is. And, I mean, not, I'm not talking about Altish. I'm talking about the yeah. uh, uh, Donnie. Well yeah, Perriel's friend Donnie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's he got me my uh, vaccine shot, so I really like. He got you what? My vaccine shot. Oh, yeah. I could have done that for you. <laughs> <laughs> Tracy Carnazzo was doing it for everyone. Yeah, that's who did it, but through Donnie. Uh, I I would have gotten you a, a not a not you know, like a she got not a generic. I got Pfizer, yo. Pfizer's not not Moderna's the Moderna's the one. It's clear now. Is it? Yeah, Google it. You can get a Moderna booster though. Yeah. yeah. Google uh, Moderna versus Pfizer or against Delta. Oh. Well, I got Johnson and Johnson, so that's I got probably Johnson, Johnson, my last too. podcast. <laughs> placebo, worse than a placebo. It actually, it actually studied did you worse need, than a placebo. You need to get a booster, Dan. Seriously. No, it, 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 I think it worked because the whole night I had fevers and chills, so something happened. Yeah. You have it was to. no placebo. I'll tell you that. No, it's. it's I don't know if it works. <laughs> no, it, but it, it was no. It's going to keep you alive, but it's not. Uh, it's not that effective against preventing a breakthrough infection. Well. Okay. And can I you please COVID. get him a booster? Well, I mean, you get have a, go to CVS, get a booster. But can I get can I mix and match any vaccine with the sure? <laughs> I have the same question, Dan. I'm really like I'm like, well, it's easy to get an extra shot of the things that were you know administered in two shots. What do you do when it's Johnson and Johnson? You're allowed to. You're allowed Dr. to. Doctor Dwarman cannot legally it. give you medical advice, but he will tell you. If you read about it, it says that you can mix. I will read about it just to verify that I'm. I'll do my own research as, as, as people are fond of saying. You can get a shot. Um, are, so are we? Um, yeah. Is there other matters that we can discuss, or is that uh, we wrapped it up? You had one other thing. Well, I had things. Wanted... That's what we have to discuss it. No, but say the the one the one thing that you wanted. Oh, uh, it's a uh, um, hurricane Ida. No, about your joke. Oh, I. I well, you know, the, I could we could talk about that anytime. Well, that's not, that's way, not you, time sensitive. You, you did the George Washington joke at my show. Yeah, yeah, because I changed it. It that, did. I loved it. You know the George Washington joke where I say we go back and the original joke, Lynette, was you say to George, in the future there will be a majority of the population will be non white and George says, Really we're gonna have that many slaves. That got a lot of groans. Groans and looks because the word slave coming out of my mouth people didn't like it. So I change it. I don't think it's as good, by the way, but I change it to... So, so you go back in time, you say to George Washington, a majority of the population will be non-white, and George says, well, thank God they can't vote. That's the new version. Oh, yeah, that people, that's more acceptable. And that's acceptable, and, and, and it got big laughs. So, yeah, so, I like that. But you also said, you, you also added... Then I added where the he... President. Yeah, they, well, that was, I had that anyway, where he says, oh, no, in the future we're all equal. In fact, our 44th president, maybe you better sit down, but... Um, so, 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 so that was, but I told that was that was a 
part of the original version, yeah, yeah. but by the time I got to that, they were already so horrified. But <laughs> <laughs> I said slaves, they didn't, they didn't laugh at it because now in their heads, they're like, oh, this is no good. But by the no way, I, can I tell you something up for your parent, your parents? So, you know, this is obviously, this is the best N95 mask. It's, um, this is hospital grade, right? And, and um, this covers you really like, it's not like a surgical matter, like not like yours. You can breathe around. This pulls from the back of your head. It sounds very it hurts your ears. Doesn't hurt your ears. So I was, but it's it's big, right? And so I was thinking today, as I was um, walking around, I said they must make another version of this. What what about small people, small nurses, small doctors? They you know, they're sized. They make an eighteen sixty s small. I just bought a box on Amazon. It's coming for three hundred dollars. <gasps> One hundred and twenty of them. Yeah, they're mm. you're you're not. That's why they say you're not supposed to wear those unless they're sized for your face. Because if you wear the wrong size, they don't work. As opposed to that, which is not sized to your face at all. So anyway, the point is this. Yes. I think it might work for kids. And because I'm thinking, if they first, I don't understand why they're making us send our kids to school. If they're going to approve this vaccine for kids in the next eight or ten weeks. Why can't we just keep the kids home for eight or ten weeks? Why do I have to go through this stress of sending my kid to school now? But anyway, um, but I think this mask, this this <laughs> this mask, I can might... tell you why you can't. But... Why I can't get my baby to wear a hat? I because there's people who can't afford to keep their kids at home. No, I said, the option last last year, my kids stayed home, and other parents. And by the way, I live in a I live in a neighborhood where, you know, there's, there's no poor people, right? So. <laughs> So like it was, it wasn't really that they couldn't afford to keep their kids home. Is that they had to go to work, and they didn't have any probably childcare or whatever. Or some people just didn't care. But I'm not saying that everybody should stay home. I'm saying they should give us the option to keep our kids home, like they did last year. We had it was you could do you could do either one you wanted. They're fine if they all wear masks. If everybody wear masks, if everybody. Well, you're saying wears- kid, but kids aren't going to want to wear that uncomfy mask. They're going to. Three-year-old wears it, no problem. My son, my son's eight, but he wears it all day long in school. They would no rather problem. wear okay, it. Let me just than show you something. Stuck at home with us. Wait, I really no, do I'm want to show you something. <laughs> look, can... look, look forward. Okay, you see this right there? Nobody. If I did this on the microphone, that? you would go ballistic. No. <laughs> I can stick my whole finger in the gap in her no, mask. Just pulled it off of my. Finger. No, no, I can see. I can see in there. No. Listen, I don't want to make a Jewish joke, but there's a big gap there between oh your <laughs> the mask and the, and the point I, is that honestly, can I can I I don't want to interrupt, but I really find the seating situation hilarious. <laughs> like we are all on this side, we peasants, and and Noam's in a chair. <laughs> this is a high back. It swivels. It has wheels. He's the, the rest of us are no, it has nothing to do with the host no, of the show. This is this is not. I didn't create. This is Robert Kelly's. Uh, um, that's, that's okay. his thing. Well, I thought, no, I could, no, no, but wait a second. I I always say that you sit there, and if you're not here, Dan sits there. I never sit there. No, no, but she's oh, right. See, it, that it chair is, has she, status. She, it, is, it is laid out as like I'm holding court. You are holding court. No, I'm not. No, yes, you are. All right, well, <laughs> I don't know what's with you today. But anyway, <laughs> point is this. I'm getting these big... And if you don't want one... Fine. Send your kid with I'm that not, with that uh, cloth mask, whatever okay, it is that you have. My son wears a KN95, but listen to me. I'm not yeah. kidding. You should really read about it because the sizing thing is a big issue with the kids. Yes, that is why okay. I ordered small ones. Now, okay. now, 
kids' a tiny head, head. This is a youth hat, so I'm, <laughs> yeah. on, I'm on board. Kids' heads are not actually that much smaller. They're, you know, kids have is big that heads. Is the small? No, this is the regular one. Oh, okay. But I got the small ones, and I'm risking... And I said to myself, I'm going to waste $300. And I said, what the fuck is the matter with me? This is for my kids' health. I waste $300 on dumb shit all, all, all the time. Speaking of comedians' dinners. Yeah. I have to go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have to go. Come on, you going to come see the Pussycat for a second? I want you. I want to see. I need. I need I, all right. I, I need that to is cool. Have you seen this as we fixed it? No, but I have, to, I have to put money in the meter. And then I'll. I have. Oh, I, I, you park in the meter? Okay. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Lynette Palladino, John Fish, Beryl Ashenbrand. This is Dan Natterman signing off. Until next time, bye-bye. Yeah.